Well, as I said, the world's attention um, has been on the Middle East for almost two weeks now, uh, and with very good reason. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. Um, the region, once again, on the brink, and uh, thousands and thousands of people have died really horrific deaths, and many, many more are sure to be added to the ranks of those grim stats, uh, even today for sure, even as we speak now. Um, so as this carnage is unfolding, the death and destruction is continuing in Eastern Europe, sadly, as Russia and Ukraine uh, continue to wage war there. There have been some developments there. Um, let's get an update. We're going to speak with Yars Balin now, who is the coordinator of Ukrainian-Canadian Faculty of Arts, Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies. Um, Yars, thanks for joining us. Always appreciate your time, sir. Thanks for having me, Shay. Um, let's just, uh, I want to start with um, the speech last night by U.S. President Joe Biden. He took particular uh, note of mentioning Russia and Ukraine, making sure that that stayed in the forefront of the Western world. Uh, that's important, right? You don't want to lose sight of what's happening there because of what's happening in the Middle East. Absolutely. For a 15-minute speech, he had to cover a lot of ground, but he certainly uh, gave Ukraine the attention that it needs and deserves uh, because of the seriousness of the consequences of what goes on in Ukraine. Do you think um, Do you think people have managed to keep, and I mean, of course, it was such big news going back a year or a year and a half ago. Um, what's the risk that if it does start to slip out of the world's eye? Well, I mean, we're more than 600 days into the war in Ukraine, or the, the um uh, Second war in Ukraine, which of course started uh, way back in 2014, but um, there is a, there is a danger of it uh, becoming old hat of, of uh, uh, people t- tuning out or uh, and, and fewer report less reporting being done. Uh, but at the same time, the war is still a hot war. I mean, there's fierce fighting going on, uh, and uh, there is a lot of information available on the internet where I, where I grab a lot of my yeah. stuff. Uh, so that's and that, and you know mainstream media has lost its huge you know its its sort of secure audience. People are getting information from other sources now, so it's hard to tell how much information is getting through sometimes. On the battlefield this week, Ukrainian forces started using this U.S.-made um, army tactical missile system, and and Russia says it delivered their most effective attack yet. On there was a bunch of Russian helicopters that were taken out. How important is the continuing aid from the West and the fact that it seems to be stepped up? I mean, that is absolutely essential to this, correct? Absolutely, it's it's something that um, Ukraine has been saying all along. Uh, the frustrating thing is is that sometimes the West has been slow to respond, and sometimes they, they announce that they're giving weapons and ammunition, but it takes a long time for them to actually make it to the front. That's been the case with the uh, Leopard tanks. The Abrams tanks just arrived, and it's affected the Ukraine's counteroffensive because they've needed this equipment, but they, they've got them late. I mean, they're already four months into this counteroffensive of theirs, and they're just getting equipment now that they needed long before yeah. that yet. So uh, the attackums are important because they... Uh, extend the range. Uh, the HIMARS, they're launched from the HIMARS systems. The HIMARS could hit about 90 miles deep. Uh, the attackums now extend that to about 120 miles. These are medium range attackums. There are longer range attackums that can hit 300 miles uh, deep, and uh, Ukraine doesn't have those yet. The hope is, is that they'll get them, and that'll bring the Kerch Bridge 
into range for Ukrainian forces. Putin's uh, response to this new development, and I fear he might be right in some ways, uh, he said, this is not good for Ukraine because all it does is prolong the misery. I mean, he's clearly settled in for a war of attrition here, right? I mean, that seems to be the strategy that Russia's deploying at this point. It is, but he's, uh, his uh, complaints should be, or his whining should be taken with a huge grain of salt. Uh, the Russians are losing horrific numbers of men. They're losing material. They're losing the war. And he, increasingly, he's talking about negotiations, and he's whining that the Ukrainian government actually has a law that prohibits them from negotiating with Putin. They don't trust him, period. You can't make a deal with the guy. And uh, and he's trying to present himself as you know being concerned about the loss of life, and it's time to sort of wind this thing down, and all that's crap. Nobody believes that in Ukraine. The uh, Ukraine understands that they have to fight until they push Russia entirely, the Russians entirely, out of Ukrainian territory. And then it'd be possible to consider discussing uh, with Russians, hopefully with a different leader. There's um, a lot of commentary, and, and as we say, it came from the President of the United States yesterday, linking what's going on in the Middle East with what's happening in Eastern Europe and sort of democracy under attack, authoritarians, terrorists, thugs, uh, trying to flex their muscles on the world stage. Is that fair? Does that diminish what's going on in Ukraine, or does that help? No, I think it's all part and parcel of the same thing. I mean, obviously, the Russians have been helping um, uh, the, you know, when dealing with the Iranians, and the Iranians are backing Hamas and uh, forces in, in the Middle East. So this is all connected. And I think that that's becoming more and more obvious to people. With uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, for Europeans, that's much closer. That's right yeah. on their doorstep. And I think that that keeps the attention focused, of at least the uh, European uh, community, which is increasingly understanding just the danger that is posed, posed you know, that is posed by uh, uh what's going on in Ukraine, and I've been more and more supportive of the Ukrainian efforts. Yars, you and I have spoken about this conflict many, many times over the past, like you say, it's uh, a year and a half now. Are we any, I mean, I, I've stopped looking for how this is going to end. I think we did that for maybe the first month, first six months. Uh -huh. um, do, are we any closer to, to any kind of resolution here? Because it just seems to grind on. Yeah, we are. Uh, there's been a lot of positive change and positive developments in Ukraine. I mean, Ukrainians are making some uh, small progress in the southern front. Uh, it's slow because the Russians had time to build uh, all kinds of defenses, trenches, anti-tank things, and to sow the fields with a staggering number of, of mines. And so Ukrainians have had to change their tactics and using small groups or making small gains here, there, pushing forward, pushing forward. But what they are doing effectively is they are taking out targets uh, further in the rear, behind the front line. And this doesn't show up on the maps, where you can't sort of say, oh, they've gained this. But they're knocking out command posts, they're knocking out fuel dumps, they're knocking out ammunition dumps. They're hitting uh, places where Russian, store, where Russian soldiers are uh, stationed and taking out lots of Russian soldiers. I mean, there's some days that the Ukrainians, in the last week, there have been a couple of days where they've killed 800 to 1,000 Russians in a day. I mean, think about that. That's yeah. staggering. And what that does for morale, because... These are people often getting killed in the rear, and so the frontline troops look behind them and, like, how are they supposed to get food? How are they supposed to get ammunition? How are they supposed to get reinforced? How are they supposed to get wounded out? Uh, and in fact, in many cases, they don't bother with the wounded. They, the, the accounts are that the fields are just littered with Russian dead because they don't collect them. 
and they don't collect them for a variety of reasons. They don't want to risk any more deaths, but they uh, also uh, don't report them to their families so that the government owes, you know, pays out money uh, in compensation for those who are dead. I mean, many of the troops that they're using now are still, they're still using convicts. So it used to be the Wagner group that recruited convicts. Now it's the Ministry of Defense that is recruiting uh, convicts. They're signing them to contracts of 18 months, not six months, like Wagner. Right. And they're violating those those contracts. We well, can imagine what this does for morale. They're not of course. They're sending these guys who are poorly equipped, uh, poorly trained, uh, no motivations. A lot of them have drug problems, serious alcoholism, whatever. The, the quality of the soldiers is terrible. Uh, there are some better professional, more professional units or better lead units, but there are a lot of them that are just walking disasters. Yeah, and uh, so so I think that uh, you look. Ukraine has opened a corridor on the Black Sea that they're shipping Ukrainian grain out. Mm-hmm. The Black yeah, Sea yeah. is no longer a Russian lake. Yeah, Ukraine yeah. doesn't have a navy, but they've they've sunk twenty uh, ships. Uh, okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm right out of time, unfortunately, but uh, oh. I always do appreciate the update, and, and I'm, it's encouraging to hear uh, the information that you have for us. Yeah. But unfortunately, I'm out of time. I got to go. Thanks, Yars.